Hello and welcome to another edition of Pioneer Pigskin, our college football podcast here on the End Zone Podcast Network and now up on Football Breakdowns as well. Last week, we went deep with Jay Catch on BYU. I would suggest everyone go back, learned a lot that episode, talked a lot of great football down in Provo. But tonight, we go to the hill, as they call it, and uh, take a look at what is going on with Utah football. And I'm joined by two esteemed guests, per usual, my good friend Austin Facer. Austin, welcome back to the program. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. Um, and, of course... Utah football had to get Brown Bear himself involved. Brian Brown, welcome to this podcast feed that you uh, own, and uh, that but also the End Zone podcast feed. So what a, what a cl- uh, clunky and awkward uh, introduction that was. Oh, but- I got a better way to make it <laughs> awkward because I really soaked in that podcast you guys did about BYU with Jake. Mm, okay, soak, huh? Good old pod soak. Really let it soak it in. Yeah, yeah. Well, we we're talking soaking. BYU soaking is typically, you know, part of the equation. Yes, yes. Very well said by both of you, and definitely, definitely comfortable talking about this. Definitely not squirming inside and on the verge of of. of proud of brief- us for all wearing shirts tonight as well. Of, of briefly passing out. Yes, yeah, Eric didn't want us to wear shirts. It was weird to the to the audience at home. Eric insisted that we go shirtless. Brian and I pushed back, and we we convinced Eric to put on a Real Salt Lake jersey. So. Technically, yeah. not a shirt; it's a jersey. So, yeah. he's 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 not shirted up, uh, and we're not going to be shirting anybody on content today with this podcast. So, Mm-mm. getting those wow. dad jokes out. What a terrible pun that was! Uh, let's move on and get into the football of it all. Uh, Utah, Utah, uh, an extremely interesting team to talk about because um, we have all worked in the media landscape at some point or another. Not so much these days sometimes, but, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're media adjacent. Uh, it does feel like literally the only thing anyone has talked about for the past uh, month is Cam Rising's health. That is li- literally all anyone talks about when they talk about Utah, and I, I think it kind of does a disservice to the team because I, I, I feel like there's a bunch of other interesting stuff that's not really being covered as much, and I hope we get into some of that today. Like, I was going back and listening to various, you know, podcasts and radio shows and things like that, and it's all, you know, it's all it's all quarterback stuff. So uh, I my promise is we will get into a little bit more stuff than quarterback stuff this time around. But here we are on August 20th, 11 days from the opener. And uh, it certainly doesn't feel like Cam Rising will be starting that opener. Would you agree with that assessment, Austin? I mean, yeah, I was just looking at an article that was written uh, five days ago it was in the Tribune where Whittingham said, if we play today, Bryson Barnes is going to be our starter. And it, to me, it's really interesting to sort of like have followed this from like spring ball when we learned that um, I guess it was shortly after the Rose Bowl that Rising had, uh, you know, torn his ACL in that game. And there was going to be sort of a recovery timeline on that. But I, I mean, I don't know if you guys remember this because I keep thinking about this, but it's been fascinating to see 
how that narrative has changed from, you know, he's working out twice a day. We think he's on schedule. We, we think he'll be ready to go for, for the opener. And they've really distanced themselves from, from that initial sort of confidence where I think they're, I think they're prepared to play the first two, maybe three games without Cam rising. I don't, I think we won't see him until they get to pack 12 play. And I, I, I would be really shocked not only if he plays in the Florida game, but in the Baylor game after that, um, you know, what, what are, I mean, am, am I wrong in that assessment? I mean, what, was that the initial report and kind of how the trajectory has gone? I think you're spot on in terms of just how it's, how the narrative has evolved and, and the ups and downs and ebbs and flows. I think the more curious question for me is how much of it can you trust coming from Whittingham? Right. And not yeah. just call Kyle Whittingham a liar or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that he's using that narrative for a purpose. And, and Kyle Whittingham, I think, is one of the more remarkable uh, non-talkers when when he says things to the media. I, I, oh, yeah. His comments at Pac-12 Media Day were an absolute clinic and how to say nothing while using a lot of words and making it sound like you're you're doing something really uh, the sort of the Kamala Harris treatment or Kamala. I'm going to say that wrong and make a lot of people mad, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, you come from the world of PR, so you understand this. I just, Oh, sure. Football where it's just like uh, the typical ACL injury takes eight to nine months. And even if cam rising is out there using witch doctors and pig uh, ligaments and, or whatever it is, you know, cadaver ligaments, whatever it is that they're using, trying to accelerate the process his surgery was at the end of january beginning of february seven months would put it into september eight to nine would put it in to november and so just uh, basic maths elementary level maths were at play for me in, in thinking that rising was not going to be ready for the season now has rising done a very good job of, of getting prepared for it absolutely he has and i think he has put in the time and the effort uh Usually when it comes to ACLs, the, the, the progression is is planting, then it's straight line running, and then it's cutting, right? So I would have to imagine that he's sitting right between that barrier of can run in a straight line but maybe can't cut on it quite yet. And so that's really what they're waiting for. And I think there's no reason. And Brian, you have experience, you know, on the, on the gridiron playing. You know, Eric and I are nerds. We were on the sidelines. Sure. Um, but I imagine like I, mean, once I was the, on the sidelines too, but I practiced a lot. So you were wearing the pads. Yeah. The, the, yeah. So, but I imagine like when the season gets started, whenever rising decides now's the time I'm ready to hit the field, I'm, I'm planting, I'm running, I'm cutting. It's not going to get any better. It's not going to, it's not going to improve from whatever point he starts from. He's either going to like play with it or it's going to get worse w- at whatever percentage of capacity he's at. Is, is that, am I wrong in thinking that way? uh acl probably a little bit different in the sense that he probably can do a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about and over time um he is going to improve minuscule you know in minute like very minute levels uh i think the bigger question is just the the concern with re-injury or re-aggravation right like if you send him out there and it's not fully healed and he cuts and it goes boom now it's a real problem, right? Because now it's not just Bryson Barnes starting one or two games. It's Bryson Barnes starting multiple games and, and maybe even an entire season, at which point Utah fans are probably ready to <clears throat> stick a pitchfork in Josh Newman. 
<laughs> poor Josh, who uh, fighting the good fight on Twitter. Um, I think it is very, you know, just circling back, because I think Eric mentioned something. We talk so much about this injury, right? And I think it's funny that we've put these fans on a roller coaster of Cam's going to start. He's doing really good. Well, no, now he's not going to start. And, you know, like, it's really back, back to the original timeline where he probably won't actually play a game until September. I think if you really just had listened to the people who who were talking about it all along, you'd be fine with it and, and realize that Bryson Barnes – not Kim rising. Right. I think that I think the real misnomer here was the injury to Brandon Rose. Right. I think that's the one where if you look at it, that's got really got everybody agitated because that was the one that feels like maybe it was preventable. Why were QBs live? Blah, blah, blah. Um, I don't know if it's been officially reported. I think the I've, I've heard off of Twitter that it was a lacerated kidney. So I'm not reporting anything. Obviously that's just what oh. I on the website. Um, <clears throat> and maybe that is something that isn't out there. I don't know. Um, Regardless, it's it's a serious injury, and it's going to take him some time to to just get back to practicing, let alone seeing the field. So, you're not going to see Brandon Rose for a couple months at all, or as well. And so, I think that all just ties together with this whole situation, making it clear as mud. I think it's going to be a repeat of last year's Washington State game, and we're literally probably not going to know until whoever it is takes the field for Utah's opening possession. Yeah, no, I'd agree agree with that. Yeah, it plays to Whittingham's favor to to leave it up to to mystery, right? There's no reason for him to declare who the starter is. And, uh, you know, I don't think Billy Napier's quaking in his boots over Bryson Barnes starting the game for Utah, but it does make them have to do more work to prepare. So. So. That was so, a hot take that it got it got a yawn. Wow. Eric out of it. <laughs> that 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 uh that w- that yawn was unintentional and maybe something I'll cut out. But let's this is way honest. past Eric's bedtime. It's uh, uh, uh twenty three p.m. I'm probably not gonna cut that out. No, no, no. I got. I, I'm just. It's been a long day. I'm a little sleepy, but I, I'm I'm focused in now. So. I think we've talked enough over the past few weeks about how we feel about the quarterback stuff. Obviously, Bryson Barnes is Bryson Barnes have, you know, and Austin a, made a good point. Like you said, you're probably gonna see what you saw against Washington State, and Utah won that game. So Yep. Like if you're asking Utah to win a game with running the ball on defense. Whoa. Yeah, you can absolutely you can absolutely and, and do playing a team that, that flew from across the country at elevation. Yep. I I think Utah has a lot of advantages, and I I I think they can feel confident having Cam I, sit. I I almost wonder if there is an element of the football program, and and they keep it very simple and basic for a reason. That is very much Kyle Whittingham's mo. He is convinced that the only way that he will ever win games is just to outwork everyone and to a degree i think there is something to that for kyle um he he has put that program ahead of the curve because he has outworked so many other people and that staff and and the players and everybody else in front of it i think to a degree some of this is being floated out there or some of this is being conversed to take away from the fact that this may be the best defense that kyle whittingham has ever had yep the defense. Let's just go to the defense. Let's go to the defense and let's talk about the defense. And lots of people are excited about the defense for a lot of different re- reasons. 
I personally get excited about this defense because of the back end, which I mean, the back back end. I really like the safeties, the safeties to me. Safety is one of those positions where I don't watch a lot of all 22 anymore. I used to quite a bit back in like college and and high school back when NFL plus was, was not a disaster to use. But the, the the defensive players that always draw my eye are the safeties. And I, I think Utah's just got so many good safeties. Cole Bishop, Nate Ritchie returns, uh, who, who was a, a very good player for him when he did get limited snaps a few years ago before going on his mission. Um, Sione Vaki at free safety, a solid player as well. I'm just really excited to see what the defensive packages look like. I'm ex- especially interested to see what Nate Ritchie's role on this team is going to look like uh, because I, I think it would be interesting to maybe play him at nickel occasionally, maybe have him coming off the edge sometimes, use him as kind of in in a in a more hybrid role uh, because I, I think he's, he's built to play that way al- along with Cole Bishop. They're kind of similar players. I'm really excited about that to me. Um, that would be my first comment on, on the defense. I'll let you guys take that, that wherever you want, but I, I'm just very excited to see those, the that safety room because I, I think it is very deep and very talented and can do a lot to help enhance an already pretty good front seven and cover up a little bit of inexperience in the cornerback room. Yeah, I just think it's just going to start and end with, with Cole Bishop. I, I think um, when we talk about the defensive backfield, I think he's a guy, you know, he's going to be a junior this year. He he saw a lot of time as a freshman, saw a lot of time as a sophomore, was an integral part of two defenses that won Pac-12 championships. His stock in the NFL draft is going to go up extremely quickly. And I think that he's going to be the one of the most fun guys to watch in, in the whole conference. And I think the way he plays is really going to set the tone for the whole defense. And and for a defense that's really made its name on its, you know, front unit, you know, being having excellent edge rushers, having terrific uh, presence on the, on the defensive line, the superstar right now is Cole Bishop. And I, I, I think it's going to be, be a hoot to see what he's capable of and see him be, be the ball hawk he is. Brian, you may be muted. Brian yeah, was did, Brian uh, was playing around with his it. new I mic stand to the point that he turned he turned his microphone off. I thought I'd broken the habit of of talking on a podcast without muting myself, and uh, nope, we're back to it. Uh, streak is alive. Drink up, everybody. Um, Fanta zeros to the house. Uh, Cole Bishop really jumped on the scene there as, as a playmaking safety at the line of scrimmage right and and so you kind of have two two types of safeties these days i call them a box safety and a post safety traditionally people call that a strong safety or a free safety but i think to austin's point cole bishop's next progression is to become that ball hawk right to be that uh patrolee out in the or, or be out patrolling in in center field and as much as utah runs man coverage he's really going to be the guy who has to be great at supporting 
Miles Battle, JT Broughton, uh, Zamaya Vaughn, Fabian Marks, whoever of those four guys ends up starting at the corner position, and they will rotate them a lot throughout the season. But it's going to be up to Cole be the one to make sure everybody's getting into position and, and be the most knowledgeable guy in the field. So can he have that same level of impact if it's not sacking quarterbacks and, and, and making tackles in the run game or sneaking in on a, you know, a delay blitz or they call it a dog, a green dog. Um, You know, can he get in there and, and really leave his mark from 15 yards behind the line of scrimmage? So I think that's the interesting part. Eric brings up a unique situation because they almost have two clones at safety and Nate Ritchie and, and, and Cole. How do you integrate both of those guys? Are you going to see both of them on the field at the same time? And then you have Sione Baki, who is a tremendous playmaker for them later in the year. So how does he work into the situation? Do you use more three safety packages? Do you slide one of those guys into the nickel position a little bit more? Now nickels usually work with the safety room, so it's a familiar place, but we've heard a lot of good things about Teo Johnson. Smith Snowden is one of those guys developed enough to a point to where we see them. And so safety is a position where they have so much talent, but it's how applicable is that talent. And, you know, I think really it's been a long time since Utah's had a legitimate ball hawk safety that could create turnovers. Uh, you know, I think uh, Marcus Williams is the last one that really jumps out to me. Like, wow, that guy could really go after, uh, you, know, you know, make some game-changing plays from back there. So, uh, I think the other the other element that when I look at this defense is, are you going to need to pressure as much with your safeties when you've got a defensive line that's returning that, by all accounts, is is going to be really impressive. Yeah, I. I'm I'm very interested to see how the safety room plays out. I I, I want to know something, Brian, because I, I think you, you are are uniquely positioned to to tell me a little bit more about this. Everybody's obviously a little bit concerned with the cornerback stuff because of Clark Phillips' departure. The starters, I'm not super worried about. You know, Miles Battle is a SEC recruited safety. I think he, uh, cornerback, I think he will be able to hold his own and play solid. At least he will not be a liability, which in Kyle Whittingham's system, as long as you are not a liability at corner, you are probably pretty solid to start. And then I think Travis Brunton's just a very underrated player who made some plays last year and I thought developed nicely alongside. Clark Phillips, it'll be interesting to see what, what he does now more is their kind of number one corner, I would imagine. But what kind of depth do the Utes have at corner this year behind those two guys and, and specifically looking kind of at that nickel position? Or is it going to be Smith Snowden? Like what, what are, what are we expecting from the depth of the cornerback room at Utah this year? I think the good news is you've got a playable uh backup in in Fabian Marks who's seen starting duties who's played before it's going to be a rotation so all those guys are going to be getting experience it, it'll be up to whoever it is to establish themselves as the go-to guy uh but like in what was it 2021 where they were down to their sixth or seventh quarter uh if that's the case then you're looking at names like CJ Blocker incoming freshman from Houston Texas uh, the most intriguing thing I can tell you about CJ is he is dead convinced that he can run a 10, 200 meter. Uh, he said, give him a week. Yeah, me he too. Can run, 
Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Austin may have a chance at it. I have no chance. Like 10 to like 10 minutes, 20 seconds, probably. Uh, but he is a very confident young player. Uh, just lacks that experience. You have Kenzel Lawler and uh, Jocelyn Malaska, who are young players as well that have been in the program. So there's some some stability with that. They just lack the in-game experience. I thought Lawler looked really good at times during spring ball, but spring ball is spring ball. And, and when the snaps go live in the fall, it's a different ball game. And it's it's about can you stay in the battle? Can you stay in the fight? All those kinds of things. And whatever cliche it is that, that, that's on your draft board right now, pick it, throw it out there, put it up top, and, and we can apply it to corner play. But um, I think you know, Utah is very dependent on their corners to do one thing extremely well play man coverage because they want to stop the run game and so that's always the part to me that is is there a corner out there that can can apply that fit in the run game and also play man coverage and do it well enough to allow the linebackers and the and the defensive line to do their job so that to me you know and there are things that utah's done from year to year in terms of changing their coverage around and making it adaptations they use spotlight coverage a lot more with uh, Jalen Johnson, he when he was there, you know, you mentioned the loss of Clark Phillips. It's very fascinating. Uh, Miles Battle came to Utah while he was still in bowl prep, technically, for Ole Miss. And on his visit, they showed him the clip of Clark Phillips chasing down, I can't remember which Ohio State receiver it was, but knocking the ball loose in the first Rose Bowl game. And then Battle, of all things, in his bowl game for Ole Miss, does the exact same thing. So, different player, different sizes, different attributes that, that play in his favor, but you can already see that there's some influence. And he said in, in the article that I read on utahuse.com that it was a big inf- inspiration for him to make that play because he'd seen Phillips do it and was like, I can go do that. I can make a play like that. And he did it. So I don't know if that's interesting to you guys. I, I think, you know, I'm just out here blabbering a lot. Like I'm, I'm definitely problem. interested. <laughs> Thank you. I, I'm trying to keep Eric awake more than anything. Uh, um, but I, like, I, this is the problem with preseason football, right? Is there's not a whole lot to point at and be like, this is good. This is bad. Like, this needs improvement. And especially when you don't get to see a lot of practice and you're just hearing things through the, the grapevine, so much of it depends on whatever source the reporter talked to, to really get an idea of, of what is good and what isn't good. I think that's where it's unique to, to talk to people who are in the trenches all the time playing against these players in, in those interviews, but we don't get a lot of information from those guys. So it's, it's hard to really get a gauge for like, I mean, I can give you the, the four one one on every single one of these guys. I don't, you know, but it, what I mean, it? that's such a good point. I mean, I mean, I remember when I was a little kid and my dad would take me to practice with him, you know, after school, we were standing on the field watching the entire thing pretty much every day. Nowadays, the media is, subjugated to watching from the parking lot with binoculars if they're if they're lucky if they can find a good angle around the the buildings so um yeah i mean a lot of the what we're just talking about right now is just speculation and and hearsay and that's really the best anyone can do and that's that's a big part of why we're not going to really know what's happening at certain key positions and and we can go through depth charts and and plot accordingly and and say that this guy could be you know, the game breaker, this, this guy's a guy that we've heard a lot about or, or whatever. I think 
Miles Battle is one of the few dudes who comes in with an, a legitimate resume of being a multiple year SEC starter. Came to Utah because he really just wanted to hone in on his craft. And, um, you know, I think he's a guy that's really settled in well. Like the players love him. Uh, he's a good leader. Uh, he's integrated well into the system. He really likes it here. And so that's the kind of stuff that to me makes me think he'll have an advantage. And, you know, we talked about the safeties. There's a guy named Jonathan Hall that early in spring, you started hearing some rumblings and it has just grown to a, you know, almost a crescendo about he's going to be a dude in this program someday. And in talking to him with, with some of the stuff that I've done in the past, he is so process oriented, just even the way he dresses, there's, there's a plan to it. And, and those kinds of guys, you don't know when the success bubble is going to pop, but you just kind of know it's going to be that way. Right. Like I think Cole Bishop was one of those guys that came into the program early on. And you just said, you just get these feelings that they have those attributes to where they could be good, but when is it going to pop out? So if, if, if we had to pick maybe a player on this defense where it really pops out for them this year, is that player kind of consensus here? Like we're talking about, Miles Battle, or, or is there someone else within this defense who you guys kind of have in your mind that maybe this is the year where everything really clicks together and, and we see a, a big step forward? I'll go first because there is one that I definitely think has that kind of electric pop-out season, and it's Jonah Ellis. Uh, early returns on him, and, and, and health is always going to be one of those things where he's – Six three two fifty, so he's a little bit undersized in terms of, of of playing the defensive end position. But he's worked his tail off throughout the summer. He's been gaining weight consistently. You know, he played through a really tough injury in in the Pac twelve championship game, and and so uh, he's a guy that I point at, and I think he's he's one that could really just leap off uh, the platform and and become a superstar for this defense. And a name that maybe hasn't been said enough in the media and, and, and interviews or you know, with the watch lists. Uh, I'm going to go with Sione Vaki. That's my, my prediction. Just, just because, you know, I think we're, we're you know, if, uh, I mean, let's just think we talked, I just talked so much about Cole Bishop. If he's able to take away half of the field, that's going to give Sione Vaki the opportunity to make plays. I think he can do it. Okay, would be another great choice. Uh, you know, that's a guy that's again, when you talk about people that you hear buzz about, it's been consistent from him and and wherever he ends up playing, whether it's nickel safety, if he ends up playing deep, he's going to be an impact player and he's going to make plays. And and really, I think that's the key to this Utah defense is they need some some playmakers. And and it's not just about being great at your position and executing; it's about making big plays when the moments come along. Yeah, I think. Do you have one, Eric? You know, I I don't. Well, I do, but I I don't know if it feels like kind of a a cheating answer. But like, Lander Barton's going to get a lot better in year two. Like, obviously, right? Like, I, I like he he kind of came around towards the end of last season and obviously this is like i said it's a bad answer because it's it's a cheating answer but like is it cheating just because he gained 30 pounds in the offseason and he now looks like the incredible hulk yeah like cheating 
like we're all expecting him to like take the leap and like in a year from now like we're gonna be talking about him as like a guy who's projected to go in the first to third round of the NFL draft and like that that to me he's he's one of those guys that no doubt pops out and and gives me a nice transition that I think one part of of this whole dynamic of this Utah defense, which I think we all agree is going to be very, very good this year, uh, is the linebacker core. Because the linebacking core is just so good with Lander Barkin and Karine Reed, who really stepped up last year. Karine Reed had his his breakout last year. You'd expect him to be just as good this year, if not maybe a little bit better. And then, of, of course, you have Levon. I'm going to butcher this name. Levani, help me out, Brian. Lavani Damuni. Yes. So tell me more about him. He's a transfer, right? Local guy played at, I, I want to say Ridgeline, but I think it was actually Mountain Crest. Uh, went to Stanford, did the Stanford thing, got his degree, transferred back to Utah. Uh, a major addition to that room in the sense that he brings a lot of leadership to the group. He's a natural fit. He's a playmaker that that can play multiple linebacker positions. I think he was a guy that at Stanford had a had an impact on that defense, but the the overall room in the defense just wasn't to his standards in terms of what he was looking for. And so when he entered into the transfer portal, it was basically done deal for him as to where he wanted to go. He wanted to go to Utah, and he is very well spoken. Providence, Utah. Uh, sorry, he did go to Ridgeline. So it, it's those new high schools up there always trip me up a little bit. For for when I was in 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 the thick of it, it was always Mountain Crest. Now it's Ridgeline, Skyview. That seemed to Grand Canyon. All the new ones that seem to be better. It's wild how that works out. But uh, as a senior, he's a team captain. Uh, uh, Pac-12 honorable mention. All Pac-12 honorable mention linebacker, 14 linebacker for Phil, Phil Steele, started in 12 games. Team leader was 79 tackles, uh, three and a half tackles for loss, sack, an interception, and a pass breakup as part of his resume. And so you're getting a very high-quality linebacker to add to that group. But I think for him, most importantly, it's conversation with him that that was really fascinating to me is he talked about intrinsic motivation and how that's just something that's always been there for him and and just to hear linebackers use words like intrinsic motivation is a huge thing because we used to call them crayola eaters because linebackers were just these big meat heady you know like spread the table type dudes that you would see on the program or you know the boss and he's very heady he's very uh, very smart, very intelligent. He's well I would love to see the boss try to use intrinsic in a, in a sentence. I, is there any way we could make that happen? Is Dr. Pepper bringing back Fansville where he's the sheriff again this year? Because uh, maybe he could do some intrinsic investigations or something. But yeah, could um, be. yeah I think he, he's a nice fit in that group. And they've got a lot of other guys. You know, we talk about Perenne and, and Lander, but Justin Medlock is a, is a player that's going to see the field and, and he's going to be an impact guy. So that there's there's a great group. This defense is very deep. I think it's that could be a blessing or a curse for Utah, right? Do you feel like it's the kind of depth where it's guys can step in and play and and you know give each other enough enough of a breath to where it's like positive, 
or is it the kind of depth to where you can mix and match personnel uh, on a team by team basis and be effective that way? Um, I don't know. I think that's going to be the part that's that that's up to Coach Swan and Coach Scally and the rest of that group to make sure that these guys are not only ready to play every position, but every week and every team. But there's definitely plenty of guys back there. Sione Fotu uh, coming back from a mission. And in the five games that he played in 2020, he sure stood out as a, as a true freshman. So there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of names in that room. I think the bigger thing is just, how do you get it all integrated? So, you know, are you going to see a lot more like the three, three, five package because of that and the versatility that you have with Lander Barton where he could rush? I, those are the questions that I ask when, it, when I look at this situation. Hmm. Yeah. I, I think those are interesting and fair questions to ask. It'll be really interesting to see how those play out. I, did want to touch just very briefly as we wrap up the defense here on, you know, the 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 defensive line. Obviously, Jonah Ellis, a guy we talked about, Junior Tafuna, very, very solid. Um, Samode Peppa is gonna be a big part of the of the defensive line as well. This defensive line, fair to say they're just gonna be menaces again. Like this is this is gonna be a team that generates a lot of pressure on the quarterback, true or false. I feel like the answer is true, probably. If this if this feels like maybe one of the deeper defensive lines that's been at Utah over the past uh three or four years, it seems. Certainly feels that way. Do you guys have a particular player? I mean, I already mentioned Jonah Ellis as my guy. Do either of you have one that stands out to you? I think it's Jun- Junior Tafuna, and I, I think it's really, um, if I'm remembering correctly, I think that, like a theme, you know, when this unit kind of came in last year was, you know, a little bit of a struggle at the start of the year. They picked up their stride, but I, I think it just shows the, the amount of experience and, and um, sort of what can happen in full calendar year where, I mean, once again, Utah's going to be leading the conference in, in so many different defensive categories. And I, I think, a lot of that starts with the work in the trenches. Yeah, for me, it's it's Logan Fano. Like, how how good is this kid? Like, is he good enough to play his way into meaningful snaps on Kyle Whittingham's deepest defensive line ever? If that is the case, and he is able to play his way onto the field, then I think that just says something really tremendous about the level of talent he has coming in the future. Uh, I'm interested to see how involved in the rotation he is. So that 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 would be a guy I'm pretty interested in. There's a lot of this is what's unique about this roster. There are a lot of those names that it's I'm really interested in to see what this guy's ceiling is. Right, Logan Fano. Uh, how does Van Villinger come back returning from injury and you know, he's gained some weight, so he'll probably be playing some some unique position stuff. Uh, you know, he may end up seeing a lot more defensive end in their three-man front uh, because of that. Another name, Connor O'Toole, the converted wide receiver that played a lot last year at defensive end and, and 6'4", 251, the size is there. Is he going to continue to improve? And then there's one player that we always seem to forget about in this conversation, and it's uh, Aliki Vimahi. And really, Vimahi has been one of the better better players for for that team 
for a while now. And I, I think we just don't see him have the production everywhere else. But when you look at their grades on the season, the fifth highest graded defensive lineman was Simone, or the fifth highest graded player through PFF was Simone Peppa. Number seven was Gabe Reed. Eight was Jonah Ellis. Uh, all those guys are coming back, you know. Um, so that that leaves a lot to be very encouraged about with that group. Um, it's just there's so much. It's it's kind of a, a weird situation to be in with them because there are so many guys coming back that that you look at and think to yourself like they could be really really good, but you just don't know, really. What's well, is like the, there's not really a low low uh, big guys right there the floor so to speak uh-huh. yeah you know, the, the question is like how how the ceiling there's no concern about what the floor is it's it's yeah. high too you know so yeah I think that's a great way to look at it is the floor is you know the floor is very solid and and there are a lot of guys that can play you know, I think Chase Kennedy will be a guy who sees some action. Um, a little bit undersized and and you know there's been some talk about ko okana as well the uh, i believe he's a redshirt freshman from hawaii but i just don't know again that 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 shows you just how much talent and, and like austin is saying that the floor is there it's just what's the ceiling of this group can they be and the other part of it too is can they be one of the more tenacious defensive lines in the country and not just in the pac-12 i think that's where utah's been very dominant in the conference can they make make that transition to where they're having, I don't like not Georgia esque, but like a poor man's version of Georgia, right? Because I don't think anybody can top Georgia. Georgia is just going to be the best no matter what for a long time. Um, you know, do you have a group that can be top five in terms of a defensive line, or be a group that can be so outstanding that maybe it puts you into the conversation for college football playoff berth? Yeah, I, I think that's. That's certainly fair to ask ask a question of that. So often we put so much pressure on who the quarterback is going to be that you kind of forget. Like there is a chance that if if Utah, if you know Kyle Whittingham's a great coach, like he's obviously going to tell the defensive line at some point, like, hey, uh, you know, we are short our leader right now. Like we need you guys to step up and be absolute dogs and and go out there and win us football games i I think that there's certainly the talent level in that room for for that to be a real possibility so yeah i'd be interested in seeing that too the offense a little bit here before we talk a little bit about the schedule and head out Obviously, the big thing has been quarterback. We already talked about that. Here's here's my big thing that I've been a little bit pissed has been undercovered during camp is what is Brant Keithy's status? Like, what what is his status? Like, is he because if he's coming off a similar injury to Cam Rising with a little bit longer of a timeline, but to me, it's more impactful if he is not available than if Cam Rising is not available. Because Bryson Barnes, with a full complement of weapons, can survive. He can survive. The offense can be average. And they can stay in these games. But if Brant Keithy 
comes back and he's not 100% and he can't stay on the field or he looks like a slightly worse version of himself, that's a huge blow. This offense is not loaded with talent at wide receiver, I, I would argue. Like, I like Devon Bele, I, I, I and, and I, I respect guys like Money Park, but Money Parks, but like, I, I'm not threatened by the wide receiver room. And it just feels to me like that's being undercovered that if Brant Keith, if he's not ready to go 100%, then that, that could spell some big problems for the health of this passing offense, even if Cam Rising comes back fully healthy at some point. Austin? Fair point. No, I think that's, yeah. a, I think that's a really fair point. And to, your, to your initial grievance about the lack of coverage, I don't have anything to offer. I, I I don't know what's been reported about that. I don't I don't think that's really been said as much. Maybe Brian has more to offer on that. But this is the unique part about that program, right? Is like you'll get the, you know, Quinton Ganther will get up there and tell you nothing, and then Andy Ludwig will get up there and be like, yeah, Brian's been doing this, that, or the other, right? Um, not mm-hmm. fully cleared, but it, I think I think the last last mention was that he was further along than cam but at the same time he should be further along than cam he's been at it for two or three months longer than cam has been so i think my curiosity with that one would be would become this if if you're brand keithy you should be doing everything you can to get back on the field right because every watch list in the country is now on top of of you and your production so you should want to be out there game one as badly as possible and be doing every possible thing you can to be ready to go and ready to perform. Uh, The other aspect of it too, is I think how badly does this offense need Brant Keithy? And I'm not asking that like to be rhetorical. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Do they really need Brant Keithy to be uh, the, the Dalton Kincaid of this year's team in, in terms of production? Or do they have enough at other positions and and are guys like Emery Simmons and Micah Pittman and Landon King enough to create opportunities for other guys? We saw that Nikki Sungatarango was moved over to tight end in the spring. Looks like that one's going to stick. So how important is Brant to the offense or is it more important to Brant to be a part of the offense? That's kind of my, where I look at that situation. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting way to to look at it as well. I'm just very curious to see what ends up happening. Also, I I have a really stupid and um, shallow question here. Uh, is Thomas Yasmin he is he is he still part is he still part of this group? It feels like he hasn't really been talked about as much this year. He is, yeah, and I think for for. For the Asmanian Devil, it's it's about consistency, because you saw those highlight plays in the in the Pac-12 championship game against Colorado. Can you do that five or six times a game and really become a, a weapon? And you know, I think for him, it's as much about the upstairs stuff as it is everything else. Uh, he still is. You know, he's he's so unique things that you learn about these guys, right? Like so, Thomas Yasmin is a big data scientist. Uh, really fascinated by economic trends and, and world markets and things of that nature. And so you realize like precision is, is a big part of who he is in terms of his studies. So it's probably the same when he's on the field, 
And so last year was really his first opportunity to get a ton of reps and really zero in on the precision. Now, what's unique about Yasmin is he's the guy who's teaching CJ Jacobson, Landon King, everybody else what to do. And so that's going to help him be better at knowing his role and his responsibility on the field. So I think that really should help in theory should help him translate into being a more consistent player because six five two sixty can hurdle anybody on the field that the athleticism ain't the question, right? Yeah. Athleticism <laughs> yeah, certainly is, who does, is, who not, is not a question. <laughs> I, I have a friend who uh, day trades with Thomas Yasmin. So, and uh, I, they do well. They make they make good money day trading, apparently. So, you know, hey, <laughs> uh, apply some of that to, to football, you know, yeah. Yeah. see some strong action. Yeah. Uh, I do appreciate how you guys just kind of let me cook on those things. And and I know that some of it is just because I do have a lot more interaction with with that community and, and the players and know a lot more. It's not just some of that. That's that's entirely why. <laughs> yes, that is entirely why. I, I do have opinions on Utah football, but you have said them all much better, Brian, and I, I do appreciate that, which brings me to my next point here because I am I, – I, I am – I, I like the pacing of this episode, and I don't want us to under talk, but at the same time, I think if we could get out of here under 45 minutes, that'd be good. I think we could fit a lot of information into the episode. I need to ask Brian this, though. Brian, I'm just going to give you, here Here you go, three to five minutes to just tell me everything I need to know about the offensive line. Go. Keaton Bills is going to be moving earth, and that's going to be a huge component of what Utah wants to do in the run game. I think they are an inside zone team primarily. They want to either move guys out of the way play side or create a cutback lane. And I think that really works to the advantage of Jaquin and Jackson being a more upright but but shifty back to where he can cut and go and really make those backside backside lanes into explosive plays. Uh they need to find a solution at center, whether it's Coley Fayou or Johnny Maia, and I think the swinging door at left tackle has gotten a little bit, uh, a little bit wider simply because Spencer Fano has been so good as an incoming freshman. So, do you really feel comfortable starting him as as a fresh, true freshman at, at left tackle, uh, especially if if Cam Rising is is still not quite to one hundred percent? I think to Austin's point earlier in the episode, he's never going to be a hundred hundred percent right where he's coming into the season. And so you're always going to be a little bit limited. So do you go with the more trusted, experienced guy in Falcon Kamatule, or do you go with the young buck who just has gobs of talent and ability in Spencer Fano? And then, uh, you know, like I said, Keaton Bills is going to be the most reliable, most responsible player out there. He's going to just absolutely destroy people. You're going to see two or three blocks a game where he literally looks like Thor just dumping dudes. Uh, play side, it's it's Satao Lamea has, has, has slimmed up again. So he'll be great at right tackle. Uh, I still believe that his future is at guard, and that's likely where he'll play at the next level. But just having him out there is is an asset. And you know, for the right guard, Michael Mokofisi is going to have to to fight to keep that position because there's plenty of guys behind him that want to see the field. And you know, if Spencer Fano's pushing in the left tackle position, maybe you bump him inside a little bit too to get some reps. So um, there are. In years past, it was like, do you have ten guys? who can play and now it's like well we actually have 10 to 12 who's going to be the best one of this group that we can stick in there and be consistent with and so i think that's a big change um 
yeah, it's it's Jim Harding. Give that man all the flowers because he took so much heat and so much crap from Utah fans for years, and now he's just pulling in four stars like it's nobody's business, and he's got another. And I hope you all watch Corner Canyon and Bishop Dorman because Isaiah Garcia is another one. And it's like it's gonna, it's just gonna be so filthy loaded in that room when it comes to just talented guys. And and Harding is the kind of coach where he'll develop them and, and help them see the field. Yeah, I, obviously good to be loaded in the trenches, especially moving into the Big Twelve. Very, very solid. I just want to finish by asking who is the player we're most excited to see on this offense this year I will start it's got to be Jaquindon Jackson I know there's the fan base is kind of polarized on him I know some of the media is kind of polarized on him from what I saw last year he's a very good runner he has very good body balance he knows how to find holes he's maybe not the most powerful runner in the world but that'll come with reps and experience I also think it helps being a quarterback. I think there's some added ball security that comes with that position. And I don't think he's going to put the ball on the ground a ton. And even though I know there's a lot, a lot, a lot of different running backs that could play into this, this system. I really do think Jaquindy Jackson is going to be the league bell cow back when it all comes down to it and Kyle Whittingham's got to make his choice with who he's going to ride I think he's going to use Quinton Jackson quite a bit I I'm excited to see him this season I'm I'm curious Austin always pulls good names out so I'm curious to know who he chooses. I am like so excited I'm I'm gonna go last because I think I really like have a good one and I swear to God Brian if you take it from me here I'm gonna I'm gonna turn off the zoom right now and just leave so go ahead proceed Tread with caution, but I'm gonna I want to go last. So you go ahead and go next. Uh I'm gonna go with a player that maybe is a little bit off the radar, but I'm very curious. And it's uh Maneer McLean. Yes. Okay. We're good. <laughs> I didn't want the <laughs> zoom to go off either, but uh McLean has so he's kind of bounced a bit in terms of position. I think last year played tight end and now moved back to wide receiver. He's coming off an injury uh last year, I believe, is is part of why you didn't see him later on the season, but uh, you're seeing him a lot in the social media posts. So he's clearly out there practicing and getting reps. Uh, I don't know how live he is. Again, they don't let us watch this stuff. They don't give people information on this stuff. And I understand why I hate it, but you know, I understand it. So he's a player that I'm very curious about because he's a transfer from USC. He's got a lot of athletic ability, six four two seventeen, And I'm curious to see what his impact is. He's, he's only a junior uh, according to the website so that could be you know that could be a guy that suddenly pops out of nowhere and, and really establishes something unique and he's been in the program so he knows what to expect and he knows what to do I, I, I'm okay not saying, i'm really I'm excited not, for the sorry i'm not saying that he's gonna finish. be like that guy that everybody's gonna be like oh Manier mclean he's my pick for the sneaky underdog because i think eric kind of covered the dude that everybody's looking at and is like hey this is the guy that we're all expecting to be the next big thing from the offense and in JJ, but uh, Manir is one that he, we talked about most interesting teams, right? He's a guy that I look at and like, well, that's a really interesting player because there's talent, there's ability. He's got great hands. He's, he's, he's practically unguardable when healthy. So what does Utah do with that? Can they actually use that? And, and can they put him into play? Okay. Sorry. I was Brian. I was so excited about this. I cut you off prematurely. But I, when I say this name, you guys are going to 
freak out at how smart I am. Okay. Here it is. Cole Becker. Thank you. Brian, Brian's giving me the, the touchdown. Jesus, the Cole Becker, for those Eric of you, giving not... you the, the what? Yeah. Cole Eric Be- is giving you that look that says, I don't know who that is. Never heard let my me, name in my life. Let me, you know, you know who I'm talking about, don't you, Bri? Oh, I do. I love Cole Becker. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I am on record as not being a a genuine lover of kickers or punters. Uh, I think special teams are special for a reason. And sometimes I think you let them play a part of it just be, to make them feel special. Um, but Cole Becker is a special, special player. And really, really excited for him and what he brings to the table as a kicker. Most kickers are the weirdest people on the planet. Cole Becker is awesome. And if you have a foursome out there and want to get somebody to really be a ringer in your scramble or your tournament, call Cole Becker. Because the the two things that he does well are kick footballs and hit golf balls. He's a big dude. He's 6'3". He's 230. Um, he was jettisoned from Colorado or there's some story there, but he's one of the, the heaps of players that was that transferred from Colorado. When Deion Sanders came in, Utah scooped him up. Eric, let me just run down some stats for you in 20 in, in 2021, he was first team all pack 12 last year. Wow. Uh, uh, as a sophomore, he went thir- <laughs> he went 11 for 13, uh, had a long of 49 yards. Um, I'm seeing here in 20 in 2021, he was three of four between the range of 50 and 59 yards coming out of high school. He was ranked as the number one kicker in the nation by some groups. Uh, he's from, where is it? He's from Roseville, California, Bay Area. Went to Rockland high school, Bay area. Thank you. And makes sense. Cause Eric has the golden gate bridge uh, as his zoom background. So I thought that would get him excited. Um, but I mean, Special teams have been such a trademark of Kyle Whittingham teams over his tenure. Last year, the kickers kind of sucked. Um, Jalen Redding, the magic faded on him pretty quick. He lost his job. Um, Jordan Noyes also lost it again. So there was some going back and forth on that. Um, but I think uh, I think it's really exciting that, again, Utah is going to have an, an elite kicker and continue a lineage that had a little bit of a gap in it. It, it, even, and despite that, they still won two Pac 12 championships. But if we're talking about a team where there are question marks at, 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 in the offense, where, you know, things could get dicey in the red zone. If, if uh, Keithy's not ready to go, I I think it's going to be big to have some automatic points on the board and, and Cole Becker's the dude to do it. Somebody out there is going to point on a map and say that Roseville is not Bay Area. It's more outside of Sacramento. Whatever. Uh, Whatever. Whatever. Uh, Northern geography. Uh, geography. I think is like. It's close. It's five square miles. The the area of Northern California. Yeah. 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 Like that's that's like everything north of Fresno is is Bay Area. Yeah. And so come after me, you uh, map geeks. Another mm-hmm. fun stat that I think Utah fans are going to love about Cole Becker. 94 kickoffs, 63 ended in touchbacks. And I think Utah fans are going to absolutely revel. Austin nailed it. He's a big guy, big leg, strong, strong, strong leg. Uh, I I don't often promote it, but the Crimson Connective interview with him is really fascinating because one of the questions is why Utah? And his first answer was, well, not going 1-11 was a big factor. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, it, worst at first, good move. Yeah. 
Yeah, the, the, he and he and Bam Allen, the the transfer from USC, who we didn't even cover him in in terms of the safety depth, and I think he'll probably be a guy that that sees some action. But they both made the smart move and went from uh, the teams that lost to Utah and and joined up with the winners. So it's kind of that's that's a new. I think that's a new one for Utah fans, but uh, I think they like it. I love that we closed with some kicker talk. Makes me happy. I'm a fan of kickers. I'm a kicker guy. What a Light- shocker. Li- lightning round here. Lightning round here. Final record and who's playing in the Pac-12 title game, the final Pac-12 title game this year to close us out here today. We will start with you, Brian. Final record, I think 10-2. and two. Uh, I do think they win the Pac-12. Uh, I think the, the 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 nefarious games on the schedule right now are more likely Baylor on the road. I think that's going to be one that's going to be tough to win. And then uh, at those last four or five weeks of the schedule are just absolutely brittle. And, and I think that road game at Washington is one that I look at with some skepticism in terms of can you hold up to that point, how healthy are you, everything like that, where – it's just a nine-game conference schedule is already always going to be difficult. Sorry, what was the rest of the predictions that I had, need to make? Just who's in the Pac-12 title game with them? I think it's either Oregon or Washington this year. Um, okay. And I, I think USC is still just so – like they're, they're good, and I don't think you ever really want to pick against Caleb Williams, but what if he gets hurt? What are they? Right. It'll be interesting to see what ends up happening there. Austin. Okay. I'm, I'm again, the pessimist to the group. Um, I think you guys going to go nine and three um, projecting um, one loss. In the, the, as Brian said at Baylor. Um, I also think it doesn't bode well for them that they have Washington, USC, Oregon state on the road. Um, I think they're going to lose two of those to to arrive at nine and three. Um, I think they're going to miss the Pac-12 championship game um, just based on those two losses. And I think there's a real narrative here. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and say USC is going to be in in that championship game. I I think they're gonna maybe find a way to get ahead of teams early and be able to pull Caleb Williams out um, after his his stats are to the point where he could contend for another Heisman. Um, I think that there's here though, that I could, I just, cause I like stories. I can see this happening. Um, I think Oregon state, which has been left out of the uh, equation and everybody's jumped to, to greener pastures. Uh, they have a real, they have, they're going to have a great team this year. Probably one of the, one of the better teams. And I, I think there's a real narrative that they're going to play for the championship game in what is essentially the conference's last year of existence. And in a year where they've been uh, kicked in the nuts in terms of being uh, uninvited to, to, to proceed in, in a different conference. I I like, I like the storylines. I like the narratives built in there. I'm with you. I think nine and three is, is how things end for Utah. I agree. I think they can beat Florida. Baylor could be tougher. I do think that in California, in Los Angeles, I think a, a win at USC is, is tough. I mean, they've only done it once at this point in once in, in the their, last hundred years or something in, in their history. So I, I think that's going to be a tough one. 
and and I think there's probably another weird Pac-12 loss in there somewhere. I do think the Is whole it over Pac- when they bomb when the Germans bomb Pearl Harbor. I do think there is a chance that the Pac-12 just cannibalizes itself like it always does this year, though, and that even with two losses, they can make it as the second-place team in the championship game. So I will say USC and Utah again play for a Pac-12 title, and then once you get to that game, you never know what happens. So we will we will see how that plays out. Well, guys, I wanted to thank you both for joining me. I appreciate the level of football knowledge brought to us tonight by one Brian Brown. He really carried the program, did a great job, and uh, you 100%. should check out all his work at the Crimson Collective and Football Breakdowns uh, because he is a very smart and very knowledgeable football mind and someone that you definitely want to have in your podcast feeds these days. He's a good friend, too. He's a really good friend. A great friend. That means more than anything to me, especially with you two guys, because you are two of my favorite people. I love doing this with you, and like I said, I appreciate y'all letting me cook uh, sometimes with this, because I can tend to blab a lot. You're driving the bus, baby. We're just along for the ride. We are just along for the ride. All right, next week we'll be back with Utah State and the Mountain West. Should be a fun one. Until then, we will see you next time. Peace out.